Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Jordan. And before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners that you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at email... You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash alienfamiliar. And we have a Patreon if you would like to help us out with hosting costs. Uh, any help would be greatly appreciated. You can find us at patreon.com slash alienfamiliar. Today, we are going to be continuing our um, meandering series about translating different settings um, in popular media into role-playing games, and today we're going to be talking about the Mad Max franchise. Yeah. Mad Max is probably one of my favorite movie series, full stop. Uh, I yeah. loved it as a kid. I love it as an adult. Uh, I can't believe that after, like, 40 years after the first one out, George Miller came out with the best in the series. Which one did you see first? Uh, I saw The Road Warrior first. I think I saw Thunderdome first. I think that was the the one that could be played with uh, enough edits that it was, like, broadcast on television regularly. Mm-hmm. Road Warrior is a little bit more fucked up, so <laughs> I never saw that one. I remember exactly where I was the first time I watched The Road Warrior. I was over at my uncle's house, and he had a VHS player, and we were watching it there. Fuck yeah. <laughs> we were watching it in his basement on his big screen TV. Hell yeah. And this was in the mid-80s, so big screen TV <laughs> back then was a big fucking deal. Oh yeah, like two feet deep. <laughs> Just to get into what Mad Max is it is the apocalypse it is what happens when society has broken down and humanity is left with none of the trappings of civility or and or rather no civility and all of the technology that has brought humanity to where it is is slowly breaking down it's no longer being being made everything that you have is what is everything that you have now is all that will ever be made. You just have to deal with what you have and use what you have in order to make really cool shit. This was my introduction to post-apocalyptic anything as a genre. I had never seen anything like it before. I was probably like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 years old when I saw it and it just completely blew my fucking mind and I don't think I've ever been the same since. But yeah, the idea that like nothing else is ever going to be manufactured. Everything you're ever going to have, you're going to cobble together with like steel wire and bolts and shit and like, you know, make some fucking crazy battle wagon out of, you know, 15 other cars that each have little components that are semi-functional. Everything's covered in rust. <laughs> Everybody's losing their minds. I think that's the the most appealing part about Mad Max to me is that, like it's not that society is collapsed because of, you know, peak oil or nuclear bombs or whatever. The shit that makes it fucked up is how everyone collectively loses it because of that. There's not a normal person in a Mad Max movie once you get past the first one where they're just setting it up, but like everyone's crazy. Mm -hmm. Everyone can't deal with the fact that civilization is ending. So Mm -hmm. the only way to cope is to lose your mind. Yeah. And then once that gets going, like Mad Max is sort of a multi-generational kind of story. Um, Once it gets going, you're seeing people that never knew anything, but everyone being psychopaths covered in feathers and spikes and, you know, running people down and murdering them for whatever they have. Jordan, you have, you've written a, a game, Apocalyptia. Mm-hmm. It's all about the post, the post-apocalypse. You've got in your book, you have various different apocalypses that you, um, that you can uh, play the setting in. I want to know how much of that system, probably proportionate, is just drawn straight from Mad Max. At least 60%. At least. Uh-huh. Um, when I started doing it, I was wanting to make a, a zombie apocalypse thing because that was the big deal at the time. But, like, 
I was making it originally to be a zombie apocalypse kind of thing, but um, in the back of my head, I'm not thinking this is going to be Night of the Living Dead necessarily, that, like, you know, shit's just starting. I was always thinking about it as that, like, you know, 15 years ago, everything fell apart, and here shit's getting wacky now. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Mad Max is as formative to me generally, and my just aesthetic and things, nerd-related, as, you know, Alien or Predator or Star Wars or Star Trek. It's, like, right up there at the top. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think about it all the time. It's the whole reason that there's a gyrocopter in that game. Who the fuck has a gyrocopter? (laughs) (laughs) Like, in Apocalyptia. So much of the rules is about manipulating what you have, like customizing mm-hmm. your gear, customizing mm-hmm. customizing your weapons, customizing your armor, customizing your vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't a lot of a whole lot of role playing games that allow that degree of manipulation of the particular stats of a single item that you have, like being able to, to modify it and make changes to it and to me, that is that just screams Mad Max because that's that's the entirety of what is going on there. You've got maybe a couple of people who have a nice gun mm-hmm. or other weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they have a couple of bullets for it, mm-hmm. um, and everybody else is just cobbling together whatever they can. They're making like they're making their armor out of um, whatever was in the second one with those like white. Um, oh, the like, football pads? Yeah, or like whatever fo- it was. they look like football pads. No, actually, I think they might have been like BMX armor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some of it was BMX armor. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's another big aspect of the, um, as just the visual aesthetic is like all of the biker shit. Mm-hmm. Um, all the black leather. Um, it looks like half of the stuff was bought at a Harley Davidson shop and the other half of it was bought at a at a sex shop. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's this weird, like, S&M element to the whole thing. <laughs> that fucking... That dude that rides around... Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but there's the guy with the pink mohawk, and then there's, like, his twink with the assless chaps that's yep. always on the back. <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just, like... Yeah, it's like, how fucking ridiculous is everything gonna get? And... It always, like, there was a, uh, a Key and peel sketch that, that I think about sometimes where, uh, one of them is, like, wandering through this, like, completely abandoned post-apocalyptic, like, downtown New York or something, and he looks like, you know, your standard wasteland survivor dude. And then he comes across the other guy, and he's just losing it. He's, like, clowned up. He's, like, doing weird shit. He's, like, dancing. He's just being a lunatic. And the guy's, like, freaked out by this guy who's, like, not at all worried about survival. This dude's just putting on his own weird little, like, you know, improv Broadway thing or something, like, in the middle of the street. So, I don't know. It's, like, what the hell do people have just lurking around the, you know, the the conservative just like fog of society just keeps kind of under wraps and it's just waiting to go nuts as soon as the shit hits the fan. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the gear stuff is, I don't know, like I think a lot of people who are into role playing, like kind of look down on, you know, uh, players that are worried about accumulating gear and, you know, think it's like munchkin or like power gamey or whatever. But, and stuff like that, it's part of the character. You know, you remember fucking Lori Humongous's weird metal hockey mask, and not because it, like, necessarily did anything, but it's, you know, a part of that, of his aesthetic, and, like, you wouldn't really recognize Max without that fucking leather jacket and his, like, sawed-off double-barrel shotgun. Um, so, like, yeah, all these characters that have all this weird shit about them that they've, like, pieced together from whatever, that's as much a part of your character in a role-playing game, I think, as where you decide to put your skill points or whatever the fuck else you're doing. Um, I hate it when people talk down about gear. It's fucking important. Yeah. I mean, especially in an apocalyptic setting where the people who are going to survive are the hoarders. Mm -hmm. The people who will hang on to everything. And... 
make that a part of themselves. Like, like even Max, um, where he busts his leg in, I want to say the first one, and then he shows up in the second one. He's got that brace over his leg. Brace, yep. In the second one, he has like most of the arm of his jacket ripped off, and it, that arm never comes back in any of the sequel movies, even the soft reboot. Mm-hmm. All of those things that visually make the character are carried over, and in an in a role playing game, that would be represented in that your character's initial gear is still going to be with them and is still going to be used however many sessions down the line you play that game. You may be adding to it, you may have circumstances take away from it, but you're always going to have that core gear and the visual aesthetic of your character is is just as important as the stats of your character. Yeah, and even even beyond the just the visual aesthetics too, I think... Um what a character does with the gear that they find is self-expression. You know, yeah, it's survival. Yeah, it's power gaming because you're wanting to live and, like, you know, stakes are high. But, like, when... I think it was in uh, Thunderdome when Max gets run off the road and his car is flipped and then these, like, raider guys come over and try to steal his gas and then they find out that his gas tank is booby-trapped with dynamite. That tells you something about the kind of guy that Mad Max is and mm-hmm. how he thinks about shit, you know? That's not just like, oh, I, I want to do a shitload of damage or, you know, whatever. Like, that's that's interesting. But, and he doesn't say a word. Like, he's not even in that shot, mm-hmm. you know? But, <laughs> like, when he's he's got that awesome dog and he's, like, sitting there hanging out with his dog, he pulls out some dog food, he starts eating it, and gives his dog some too. They're sharing dog food together. Like, if there's a lot of DMs that I think are always trying to like make shit like that difficult on players, you know, it, I could easily see a situation where a DM would be like, oh, well, you just have one ration, so you can have it, or your dog can have it, but you don't have enough for both. But that scene where he's splitting the, mm-hmm. the can with his dog, that's cool. Yeah. You know? like, I don't know. Another thing that I've noticed in the movies that is something that I think is very cool but um, and is very gamey and it translates well into a role-playing game is how you have this dichotomy between these extremely rare and being expended resources coupled with these displays of excess. Like um, in, in Fury Road... Um, at the beginning, Max doesn't have it, like, or, I'm sorry, I take that back. In, um, Matt, in The Road Warrior, Mad Max 2, um, Max needs gasoline. He, that's the first place that he stops is to, uh, try to find gasoline. He mm-hmm. finds out and he gets a little bit. And he gets a few miles up the road. His car is running on fumes and he comes across this place that is refining gasoline and they're using gasoline as a weapon to fend off the raiders for the settlement Mm -hmm. in a flamethrower. And yeah, even like um, in all of the big action pursuit scenes, like all of the most recent movie, a big hunk of Thunderdome and a big hunk of, well, a big hunk of all of them, Max is trying to escape or whatever the hell, and rather than just send out a couple of really fast interceptors to get him, whoever the big boss is sends their entire fleet of vehicles. Yep. Like, in the last movie, there's like 30 vehicles going after... I mean, yeah, it's it's not about gas in that one. It's about the girl or whatever. But, um, you know, you could have probably possibly got the job done <laughs> with just a couple... <laughs> Like, put your best guys in a few cars and have them drive fast, but, like, do you need every single fucking van, dune buggy, motorcycle? <laughs> nope, but it's awesome. And it it lends itself so well to, to games because you don't have to worry about, well, this, this settlement only has 50 people in it, and so only... Uh, only ten of them would be of like warrior type characters. <laughs> no, they're all warriors. Yeah. They're all badass. Yeah. They're all going to come at you with their knives, their um, their cro- their homemade crossbows, their homemade shanks, their uh, plastics 
spoon that they have sharpened down into a stabbing utensil. They're all going to come at you. You can assume anyone that's still walking around is a fucking killer. Yep. Well, in the second one, the little kid with the boomerang, the, with the love that sh- shit sharpened blades that just he was the, the little kid was cutting off fingers and yeah, murking people left and right. God, he's got that mitt just yep. catching the boomerang. That kid's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> love that dude. Oh, he's he's the guy that kills the twink. Yeah, he takes a boomerang right to the brain. Yep. <laughs> So, so more than just what it looks like, there's also the way that the language is used. And I'm not just talking all there in Australia. They're talking with Australian accents. The language has evolved. Like, even though it's like in the first one, it's said that it's in, it's set in a few years, the language is already changing. Slang is being picked up. Um, like words like gasoline are being um, muddled into guzzling. Um, the evolution of the language just draws you in with being able to just pick up each player in a, in a game like this could come up like with a word with that they're changing or that mm-hmm. they're using for a particular use. And it gives character player buy-in to help create the world, mold the world into something that everybody can sit around and enjoy and basically build world build along with whatever has been presented in the movies. Mm-hmm. And and you see it evolve over the course of the films, like the multi-generational aspect of Mad Max is one of the most interesting parts, but like in the first one, you got toe cutter and those guys and they've got their weird, like punk kid slang or whatever. And the cops kind of have a little jargon between them too. But then when you start getting into the later movies, especially when you get up to, uh, all the way to Thunderdome. One of the most compelling scenes in any of those movies to me is when the kids, all those primitive kids are sitting around and they got the fucking cave paintings of the nuclear apocalypse. And they're telling this story that they've recited over and over again with all their weird little kid words to explain it. And you're, you're seeing this trajectory of civilization, like not just hitting this post-apocalyptic wasteland stage, but we're going straight back Stone Age because yep. of this stuff. Kids are talking about the pocky lips. Yeah. And you can you can imagine like hundreds or thousands of years after that when people are finally starting to like build themselves back up into, you know, complex civilization. And all they have to remember is this bizarre mythology that's been passed down from these like weird little half feral children that are just, you know, got this weird old record that's like making weird noises and they've got this this whole fucking like you know sort of a creation myth or it's a destruction myth it's mm-hmm. a you know an armageddon story and that's that's all they know yep even though the movies are set in australia i fully believe that there are parts of the us where you could just take everything that is happening in mad max and just plop it down and Literally, the only thing you would have to change are the accents. Mm-hmm. There are there is so much going on as far as like the the visual style of people that are rural. They have to deal with not being able to buy things when something breaks. They have to reuse things. A lot of the aesthetic that um, came up from people who uh, lived through the Great Depression, like especially like in Appalachia or the American Southwest. The, the visual aesthetic of uh, Mad Max, you can see at Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. the art and the vehicles that it, that people cobble together. Well, there's the, the Wasteland Festival. The, I think that's in uh, the California desert. And that's just a straight-up like Mad Max fest. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got a Thunderdome. <laughs> they've got like people showing up in tricked-out vehicles and, you know, the whole fucking bit. Like, I want to go there desperately. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd ever leave. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when I went out to Arizona for a couple of weeks, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference at all. The terrain is fucking identical, but there was a, a car that came roaring down the highway at one point, And it was a big old black SUV that was like 
kind of rusty and fucked up in places, but it had one of those, like, steel pipe, like, cage things built around it. Mm-hmm. It had, like, a snorkel, had, like, the fucking blades on the, the hubcaps. Like, this dude was ready. <laughs> this dude is already living Mad Max out there in the fucking Arizona desert. So what kind of game systems do you think, aside from, you know, this amazing game that I made, of course, um, but, like, game systems people have heard of, do you think Mad Max would work well in? GURPS can be used for anything. Sure. Um, I really like me Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds, Fast, Furious, Fun, um, I think really lends well to this big, over-the-top. It's very pulp in that these these huge people these huge personalities are here doing these ridiculous and also amazing things. Mm. I think that the Mad Max post-apocalypse lends itself ironically toward very, very crunchy systems and also very, very narrative systems. It's a weird balance. Yeah. The, I couldn't see something scaled in the same way as like, um, say, like, D20 Modern was or something like that, where you've got, like, buckets of hit points. Unless it's, like, a real big dude, you don't see Max, like, fighting with somebody for, like, a long period of time trying to wear him down. Like, if it's a fist fight, that's one thing, but if a dude gets shot, he's over. Mm -hmm. You know? There's no fucking around with it. Dude takes an arrow in the chest. He's, He's off. He fell off the fucking bike, and he's done. Yeah. Um... And even even in the movies, Max, he gets damaged. He is visibly in pain for the rest of the movie. He mm-hmm. is injured the rest of the movie. He is not using that limb for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with the with the crunchiness, like you know, like we were talking about with the gear, and like when he's trying to use his shotgun, and the the one shell just kind of like flares out, and mm-hmm. you know, is a dud. Um, and all the fucking, like, vehicle modification and all that sort of stuff. Like, I couldn't see it working well in something like Fate or something like that, where your gear is, like, essentially just another ability that you throw in at some point. Like, part of the simulation is getting people in this mindset, <clears throat> in this mindset of, of managing the scarcity, of, you know, clinging with white knuckles to the very little bit of stuff that they have and trying to make it last as long as possible. I couldn't see that working out in a game where it's like, well, you can use this ability, you know, every encounter or something like that. Like, it just doesn't doesn't work that way. I'm going to disagree with you on the fate aspect because of one part of fate is that um, um, the game master can bribe you into shit going wrong. Mm-hmm with fate points to, so that you can be more awesome later, the storyteller, or or, I don't remember what it's called. I'm just going to say game master. The game master can bribe you and say, well, you're getting ready to pull the trigger on that guy. You've got the two shells in your shot, in your double barrel shotgun. You're not sure if they're going to work or not. I will give you a fate point. If that gun doesn't fire. That would be interesting. That would be interesting to see. But I don't remember there being a lot to keep track of in Fate. Like, I don't remember ever having an inventory of stuff. Right. You know? Yes. So, yeah, the, the like, devil's bargain uh, mechanic, that would be real cool. That could definitely come up in a lot of cool ways. But the other thing is that you have to have a game system that can convincingly simulate driving physics while also doing it elegantly enough that it is fun and continues to be fast paced. Yeah. Um, I'm still struggling with that. I've looked at probably every fucking driving mechanic that's ever been published in a role playing game. There were whole role playing games in the eighties that were devoted specifically to Mad Max type driving kind of shit. They're all horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they're, not my kind of thing because they're ridiculously complicated. Also, I don't know that um, that players would really enjoy it if you faithfully did represent uh, how driving works in your dice mechanics. Because, like we were talking about with lethality, 
people die the fuck out of themselves mm-hmm. every damn day on the road, completely on accident, not trying to get in a high-speed chase or anything. Like, you will die in a minute in a car if something gets fucked up. And a personal story. Friend and I were going out of town. Some car to our right was drifting over into our lane. I didn't have time to do anything but swerve the wheel. Little did I know there's a pickup truck in my left blind spot. I didn't mean to make this guy spin out. I didn't make some high drive roll or anything like that. This was the the slightest change in the degree of my arm on that steering wheel. And before I knew it, this old-ass pickup truck is spinning like a top across two lanes of traffic behind me. Any number of people could have died. Luckily, everyone was fine. But that dude was not going anywhere. I fucking executed that thing perfectly, and it was not a fluke. Anybody else that would have been in that situation and done the same thing, it always is going to work the same way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, with, with stuff like that, like, most role-playing games want to keep a very tight lock on how much power a given player has in a situation and want to keep it proportional to whatever the encounter is because it's it's a game and there's this like kind of tiered challenge thing that they're working with and stuff like that but when you bring something as powerful as you know a two three thousand pound vehicle going 60 plus miles per hour into the equation like this is so much more destructive a force at people's hands with just the easiest manipulation of that force Mm -hmm. that it just completely blows all the power curve that's ever built into you know most role-playing games you know what i mean yeah are there any other parts of of the setting that would be just incredibly difficult to translate into a role-playing game or that in the role-playing games you've seen are incredibly difficult to to make fun i personally every time hate keeping track of how much food do I have? How much water do I have? Mm -hmm. Um, Do I have enough to to get me from point A to point B? That sort of tedium is something that turns me off every time I encounter it. And in most apocalyptic games, that is, that is the core of your character's survival. That is Mm -hmm. the, that is a core tenet of the game. Mm -hmm. Mad Max we we do see some of that in like you 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 were talking about him talk, uh, eating with his dog the mm-hmm. dog food you I mean it's there in the movies it's but I just never have fun whenever I'm keeping track of how much how many rations I have and how much is how much do I have left I don't mind it um, because for me every time I tick off a ration box or you know check off the 10 rounds of ammo I used in the last round of combat or whatever I'm feeling pressure building up and you know as that tension's rising I find myself ready to do more desperate stupid things to just try to get something you know um, I think it's completely relative to the player I'm, I'm like a pig in shit when I got you know that kind of thing to play with. I should be a little bit more specific as to why it as, as to why it bothers me. The fact that I am taking it off my my character sheet and I'm seeing it dwindle. Mm. That's not the part that that drives me nuts. It's I'm the one doing it. Are any of the other players? That is a problem for the DM to address <laughs> because God damn it, that's the fucking game, y'all. Like, it is survival. It's not just, well, I put a week's worth of rations in my pack when we started, and I, yeah, I'm just topping it off here and there, you know? Like, no, you're not. Fuck you. <laughs> you can't eat rocks. But it's something that the Game Master has to constantly be on top of and remind, mm-hmm. okay, everybody, take off a day's worth of water because you've been out here a day. Put down your phone and listen to me. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. Mark it off your sheet. You are not doing anything. Sit there, pick up the pencil, and mark it off your sheet. That might just not be that kind of game for those players. I mean, it's it's not going to be for everybody. I know that. Um, I mean, one thing that we did at one of those Apocalyptia games was uh, I made a, a team sheet with group resources on it, mm-hmm. and nobody worried about their own stuff. I just 
found a player, uh, Chris, I'm pretty sure it was, who really got off on that bookkeeping kind of thing. And he was just team accountant. And, mm-hmm. you know, when shit's getting low, it's like, guys, we got two days before we start getting real hungry. And, you know, that's that's cool. I mean, I could I could definitely see in that situation, if there's a group of people running around trying to survive together, that maybe there is one person that just acts as, you know, the quartermaster or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, keeps everybody else abreast of what's going on. Maybe that guy doesn't tell everybody about everything and pockets them for himself. I don't yeah. know. That definitely is a good, very good piece of uh, game mastering advice. Is is if there is a player who was willing to do that, just put all of the pressure on them to keep track of it, and in character, let the other players know. Well, we have we have enough water for today. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of the desert. We need to do something. Yeah, the drama is then within the party. You've got people being like, "Hey, man, how many cans of food do we have left?" Oh, fuck. I thought we were doing better than that. And then a discussion starts, you know? Um, yeah, I guess it's, there's some kind of trick like that. You have to pull where you make it feel like it's something that they're actually handling there in front of them and not just boxes on a sheet that they're checking off or whatever, you know? Um, maybe like, a maybe you could do something with like little props you know, I've, those uh, little plastic, like, toy food cans and, like, random shit like that. You just have, like, a pile of them in the middle of the table. I've done, like, um, where you can make custom playing cards. Um, just print them, like, download a template and print it out of, like, this is your food. This is your ammo. I've, I've printed that out, and I don't know. Maybe it's just the groups I've been playing with, but it just it doesn't seem like it works. At, at least not in the way that I was wanting it to. I was thinking little physical object representations of it. Mm-hmm. Some little plastic bullets, some little plastic cans of food, little plastic water bottles, you know, stuff like that. Maybe if they had, like, their loot there in front of them. Like, that's, that's one of the compelling things about, um, like, Savage Worlds and Deadlands and whatever, where you get the physical token that is the Benny. Like, mm-hmm. that's neat. I like having stuff like that to, you know physically understand right there in front of me, this is my resources. It makes you think a lot more than just a number on a page does, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that is difficult that I think is really hard to to make fun and really hard to make realistic, but I think is important in this kind of thing, is sanity tracking. I mean, the first fucking word is mad for a reason. Yeah. And it's because people are fucking losing it. And you see as more and more fucked up shit happens to people in the movies, they get more paranoid. They get more just fucking disassociative from reality. Um, but the human psyche is so fucking complicated. And, you know, there's lots of games that have tried to do stuff with this fucking... You know, World of Darkness has been trying it for years. Call of Cthulhu's been trying it for years. And I've never seen one do it in a way that makes a lot of sense. Mm. And it it might be one of those, like, grim realities about life that if you really want to simulate stuff like, you know, PTSD or whatever kind of mental illness accurately, you're just going to have that your character is essentially cursed. Like, yeah. You're not going to level up and like get rid of, you know, this like crippling paranoia or whatever. It's just, and, and most systems don't want to fuck with a person's character on that level. They don't want to make a player play a personality that they don't like. Yeah. Characters grow. They don't degenerate. Right. But that's not what this is about. <laughs> it's about shit falling apart. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were running this game tomorrow, I wish we were, and we had a player who was not at all familiar with any of the Mad Max uh, media, where would you start them? Would you start with Fury Road, the most recent movie? Uh-huh. That, no. Which one would you start with? No. Um, I'd probably start them with Road Warrior. I think uh, that one is... Even though I saw uh, Thunderdome first, Road Warrior to me feels like the most pure one. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one's not quite apocalyptic enough 
they go to a fucking old lady's house at one point. You know, they're hanging out on the beach. Like, shit's still kind of okay in places. And then the third one, stuff is so weird that, like, you kind of need more of an introduction as to what the hell's going on. And and also, like, there's the continuation of the character. I guess if, if you want to be a real stickler, start at the beginning. And, you know, if you're interested in, like, Max the character, that's where you should begin. But if you're wanting to understand the what the setting is about, I think Road Warrior is the one that's got the best spread of, like, lunatic biker guys out here in the wasteland. There's the settlement of people that are trying to, like, hold it together, and, you know, they're all kind of going nuts, too. There's, you know, the roving wild man, all this kind of stuff. Um, you got the... The one crazy feral kid that's kind of previewing the other feral kids that you'll see later on. Yeah, it's it's where it really gets into full speed, I mm-hmm. think. And Tina Turner just fucking takes the show in Thunderdome. Like <laughs> Max is like a side character in that movie almost. <laughs> and then in Fury Road, he is a side character. Yeah, exactly. He absolutely is. I I can't figure out Fury Road. Is it supposed to be set way the fuck later? Is it after Thunderdome? I tried to find the answer to that in preparation for this. Mm -hmm. The best I can find is um, Fury Road was always written with Mel Gibson in mind as playing Max again. And when he was not, when he couldn't be in this, they just changed the actor. Why? That's literally the only thing they changed. I mean, what's what's his name? What's the the new guy's name? Um, I like the guy. He's oh, fucking Bane. He was a bunch of people. As soon as I see it, I'm gonna know. I'm gonna feel stupid. Oh yeah, Tom Hardy. Yep, that's yeah, Tom Hardy. So I like Tom Hardy, but if this is gonna be you know the fourth chronological installment of Mad Max, I want to see an old Max. Mm-hmm. He's already an old dude in Thunderdome. Yeah, he's completely fucking gray. And and in Fury Road, whenever they get to the place where they're supposed to be all the water, and it's like just those, those old women, mm-hmm. the old women are talking to Max like, you know, when when we were around when the world went to shit. Right. Like, did he find the fucking fountain of youth somewhere out in the desert? Like, this dude is in peak condition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, clearly, probably his late 30s or something. And... That was that was probably my only complaint about that movie. I love Tom Hardy, and I think he did a fine job there, but I would have been completely sold if that's, like, Mad Max's son or something. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. You want to do that thing. Um, but, yeah, I was I was very disoriented in that movie because of that. And I want to know why Mel Gibson couldn't do it. This is pure speculation, but just I don't think it's that he wasn't able to do it. It's that after all of the shit that happened to him in the late aughts and early... Teens. What, he's too fucking controversial to play some maniac running around in the wasteland? Are you kidding me? Like, this is perfect for him. <laughs> That's why he was so good as Max. He's always been nuts. Remember Lethal Weapon? Like, this guy's always been a psycho. Yeah. Fucking William Wallace? Are you kidding me? <laughs> this dude is not a normal guy. Um, I I agree with you that uh, that the Road Warrior would be where, where I would point someone t- to get the most knowledge in a single movie about what is going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other movies that are kind of Mad Max adjacent that you would say also kind of fit the bill? If like, if we were to take, if, if we were to take the setting and just put it in a different part of the world, mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions there? There's, there's two of them off the top of my head. Um, Book of Eli is very much Mad Maxi in in its whole aesthetic and cause of the apocalypse and everything. If Max is like chaotic good, let's say, maybe chaotic neutral, probably leaning chaotic good, um, Eli is the lawful good side of that coin. And then the other one is a movie that came out a few years ago with uh, Guy Pierce and Robert Pattinson called The Rover. Um, which I believe is also in Australia. Same fucking aesthetic, same car stuff, but it's it's interesting because it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more about this troubled guy figuring out why he's troubled and this this 
poor fucked up kid that has just never been given a chance and them just kind of like sort of growing together, but in like fits and starts and, you know, it's all as messy as the genre is. So those are, those are the main two I can think of right now that are exactly within that kind of apocalypse. Um, there's one other movie that I would suggest and it's not, it's not set in an apocalypse and it has a little bit of supernatural elements, but if you take those out that I, I feel like you could just set this down there and that is the movie Desperation based on the Stephen King book. I've seen it. It's got Ron Perlman in it. I'm sold. Uh, he plays this sheriff in this town that is completely abandoned Mm-hmm. Um, the only people there are like a few people who are traveling and coming and come through the town. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you remove the supernatural elements from it, because it's a Stephen King thing, I could absolutely see this happening. Like j- just change a couple of the, the veneers and this would be a post-apocalyptic story. Mm-hmm. There's, there's two more that I'll add that are like slight stretches. The first one's not much of a stretch. It's, only because of the the terrain, like the the ecology of the movie is not desert like and all that kind of stuff. Um, and these are both Kevin Costner films, <laughs> so first one's going to be Postman. Yeah, um, you know Pacific Northwest. It's all very lush, but still like you know that post apocalyptic thing. There's not as much of that. Everything's covered in rust and blah blah blah. Um, they're sort of kind of holding it together. There's that one guy that's kind of building a fascist army kind of thing. Um, so it's it's somewhat different, but you could definitely put it in there. Um, and then the other one of course is Waterworld, Mm -hmm. which is like Mad Max, a thousand years in the future. (laughs) You know, it's Mad Max on jet skis. Yep. And God damn, if you haven't seen Waterworld, you're fucking up your life. Dennis Hopper is uh, is reason enough to watch that movie. God, so good. Fucking raving lunatic the entire time. A fucking sad old man that he keeps down in the, yep. the bowels of the and ship he, just just seeing how much fuel they got left. Yep. And like when he's bored, he just, he just spits on him. <laughs> and the guy down there is like, thank you. <laughs> Because it's attention. He only gets attention whenever he's asked how much fuel is left. And getting spit on is like manna from heaven. Great movie, man. Are there any others you can think of? If I'd have, if I'd have thought of this question before I started recording, I would have looked it up, looked more shit up. Um, I want to say that there's there's too many movies that are like the apocalypse is a nuclear event, mm-hmm. and in the Mad Max. Only after, only in Thunderdome is it even mentioned that there's been a nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of led to believe that, well, because of the age of the children, the nuclear war happened significantly after the events of Mad Max 2. Mm-hmm. So things went to shit before the nuclear war started. Mm-hmm. There's one I just thought of that, um, the feel is different. It's much less of an action movie and much more of a horror movie. Uh, but that is The Road. Oh, yeah. You could easily drop that in there because it's super vague about what the fuck's going on. You just know shit's falling apart fast. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of gun-toting stuff. There's one vehicle in the whole movie. And mostly it's just this guy pushing around a shopping cart trying to keep his fucking boy alive. Yep. That movie is great. Yep. I also recommend reading the book. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, man. I was amazed how little they changed from the book. Yeah. I I read the book after the movie, and I was still glued to every page. Mm-hmm. So what kind of characters can we play in this type of setting? <laughs> um, on this, I would lean just the whatever your craziest idea is, pick that and run with it. Yep. Take it and turn it to 11. Everything goes. And obviously, like, Gearhead's characters are going to be um, basically the most overpowered, but everybody has their place. Um, there's mm-hmm. There are the very charismatic leaders of the colonies or uh, of the settlements. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the entertainers. There's the whores with the hearts of gold and, mm-hmm. and 
there's there's the big dumb brutes, and then there's the um, calculated killers. If you go to Sawbones Doctor, you're lucky as fuck. Yep. Yep. That guy. That guy is worth his weight in gold or guzzling. I think that probably more than just about any um, just about any genre aside from maybe like vampire, a post-apocalyptic game would be the hardest to keep people in a group together long term because there's so much scarcity and you're so likely to have to make fucked up decisions and choose one person over another, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, whatever it might be, if it's as simple as, you know, we got three cans of food and six mouths to feed, or, you know, we're running away from these lunatics with shotguns and we can't all make it. All of life is hanging by a thread here. And I mean, depending on the story that you're telling, uh, you could, you could see people turn into, you know, starving rats in a cage in a hurry. <laughs> Whether you stir the shit pot yourself or not. <laughs> One thing I do want to bring up about post-apocalyptic stuff as a genre that is always uh, difficult to deal with, that is, by the nature of there being no laws whatsoever, and it being such a, a constant trope throughout the genre, rape is kind of the elephant in the room all the time, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody kind of knows that that shit would be going on like crazy if there weren't systems in place to fucking deal with it. I mean, it's going on like crazy now and we got fucking judicial system. Mm-hmm. So imagine if it's just, you know, gangs of dudes running around. That's not the kind of thing that you typically want to bring up in a fun Thursday night role-playing game session. Yeah. But a lot of times I feel like it's it's almost like um it's almost like in like 50s movies where like in, in like a real dark perverse version of this where like you know the the lead man the lead lady lean in to kiss and then it's like soft fade and then it goes to the next scene and it's like well implied that they slept together, but they're never going to show that on screen. Mm-hmm. So it was the fifties. Yeah. I almost feel like that's sort of hovering around in a weird way in apocalyptic shit. Like it doesn't matter if it's the old stuff from the eighties where that kind of shit was a lot more commonly seen on film or as recent as book of Eli. Like it's just a fucking part of it. And it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, you know, one of the darkest sides of humanity. And when you're tinkering around with all this, like, peeling away that thin veneer of civilization, bugs like that are going to crawl out from underneath. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what you do with it. I guess just steer clear, but it's it's always going to be that fucking unspoken thing that's there, you know? I mean, there's a female player character that gets kidnapped by a bunch of, you know, biker gang people everybody sitting at the table is going to run some scenario through their head. Yeah. Even if no one says a fucking word about it. Yep. It's just uncomfortably hovers. Yep. And even, even if it's never, nothing explicit is said in game, the character like becomes separated from the group. And then the group finds her like a couple of days later and managed to get her out of this, whatever situation she is in. The unspoken thing that happened there is, that this happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's this weird, like almost an involuntary, like intrusive head cannon mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know what I mean? And if it's, and if it's a Mad Max, it's not just the female characters. No. Oh God. Do you remember, uh, oh, what was the name of that movie? Um, have you ever seen the movie? This is the end. Yes. Do you remember Danny McBride's character? Yep. I also remember, uh, Channing Tatum's yep. character. If you haven't seen that movie, that's going to be my fucking nerd pick for this episode. <laughs> it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life, full stop. Mm-hmm. I was dehydrated from crying laughing after I was done with this movie. I'm not going to say any more in case anybody has not seen it who is listening to this. And anyone who has seen it is probably cracking up remembering the scene yep. that we're thinking about right now. And then there's the conversation that they have when... With Emma Watson. When, yeah, is, is there in the house. 
<laughs> oh my god, just watch the movie. We can't possibly do this justice. <laughs> so we're starting to get a little long, so I think yeah. that I think that's a good place to stop. All right. Um so do you have besides this is the end, or do you have any other geek recommendations or anything? Yeah, every movie that we've mentioned, all four Mad Max movies, uh The Rover, Book of Eli, The Road, um, The Postman, uh, Waterworld, this is the end, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, I would also throw in um, A Boy and His Dog, if you've never seen that. That one's a little weirder, but yeah. 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 Not too many movies with telepathic dogs. No. That's all I'm going to say. No, not too many. It's a Harlan Ellison story. I would also recommend um, the, the Omega Man, which is a... Um, adaptation of, um, oh God, uh, last man on earth. Well, uh, the last man on earth is the Vincent, Vincent price. The Richard Matheson novel is I am legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Omega man is very post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. This guy is going crazy and he's just having fun being crazy. This Charlton Heston doing it right. Um, my geek things don't really have anything to do with, um, post-apocalyptic, but, um, I do have two things. Uh, there is a series on YouTube, uh, called Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur. It goes into, um, talking about all sorts of sci-fi and futurist topics. Each episode is like between 20 and 40 minutes long and goes pretty deep into a lot of the topics as a lot of stuff like it related to space travel and stuff like that. Um, the other is a YouTube series called legal Eagle. It is a, um, YouTube series where a lawyer looks at, um, trial as it is represented in popular media and rates it on how accurate it is. Um, I would recommend watching the episode, um, the episodes where he, um, analyzes it's always sunny in philadelphia for um the reynolds versus reynolds the serial defense and mcpoyle versus ponderosa and also the episode where he critiques harvey bergman i i would also want to throw out uh checking out wasteland weekend um it's actually coming up september 25th to 29th it's bananas. I'm not going to be able to make it this year, but I've always wanted to. And man, if you want some cool photos of like really convincing shit for your, your role playing game, people, you know, riding around with wacky guns bolted to their trucks and ridiculous outfits. Like, I mean, it's, it's comic con for people that wish that the bombs had fallen already. So give that a look. All right, Jordan. What do you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice? All right. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.